Welcome to Movie Maker Interviews. I'm Eric Stoyer. Today our guests are Jesse Moss and Amanda McBain, the directors of the outstanding new documentary, Boys State. The film is about a week-long summer leadership program for teenage boys in Texas, where 1,100 high school juniors get together to build a mock government. Boys State focuses on an unbelievably intense mock gubernatorial election that takes place as part of the proceedings, and the film introduces us to some truly unforgettable kids. There's Stephen, the politically progressive son of Mexican immigrants who's fond of quoting Napoleon. Rob, a shaggy-haired football captain and Bitcoin trader in the midst of shaping his political identity. Ben, a double amputee and ultra-savvy politician who is driven to win at all costs. And Renee, a black teen from Chicago with an extraordinary talent for organizing and public speaking. Boy State was the winner of the Grand Jury Prize for Documentary at this year's Sundance Film Festival. You can watch it now on Apple TV+. Jesse Moss and Amanda McBain, thanks for being here. How are you today? Good. Thanks, Eric. Good. When you first decided that Boys State, the event, uh, would be a good subject for a documentary, what did you think your film would be about? Because I you obviously couldn't have anticipated the things that would happen that would make the film what it is. I think we we, we were attracted to the idea that there was a space where these young men of different politics were getting together and in that conversation and conflict, there would be a reflection of our national politics, um, but re- reduced to this manageable scale and this playful space of boy state. We knew it was playful because that's what um, brought us to the program was this article about the boys seceding from the union in 2017. So clearly there was some sort of unruly anarchic tendencies, which you might expect in a, in a big auditorium of 17-year-old boys. Um, but also they were processing the national mood. And that was interesting. It seemed to offer a reflection of our politics. And we were looking for a way to have that conversation, but, but, but tuning out some of the frequency we get from Washington. So I think that's what was exciting to us about the prospect. And as documentary storytellers, I think always fundamentally drawn to character. Um, so we began with this kind of big idea about political division and political conversation, but then really went looking for people. Had you ever worked with kids as subjects before? And of course, the, the boys in this movie aren't little kids, but they're also not quite adults. So how did you prepare differently to work with kids? We have both worked on films um, with teenager subjects um, I had never worked on a film that was all teenager subjects. I think that there'd been, you know, teenage characters. Um, I worked on a film about a high schooler in Arkansas at some point, and you worked on a juvenile justice documentary early in your career. So, um, teenagers we knew were, are incredible in, in, in that they sort of straddle this childhood to adulthood space, and they're so vivid, and they're so, you know, they're, they're in a transformational shape-shifting period of their lives. And that was no, of course, one of the questions, one of the big questions we went in with was where do we get our politics and when do they kind of, when does that become not fixed, but much more um, sort of tribal, right? And, and I think that 
that was a really one of the motivating factors for me also going into this boys state space is like these a lot of these kids are just bringing what they you know are getting from adult state and they're parroting what their parents say or whatever media they're consuming but um, then there's some kids like the ones that we followed who really kind of thought for themselves now teenager teenagers are also figuring out who they are and how solid they are in who they are. Um, and so that is interesting to also, but also something we need to be very careful with in terms of working with them, um, sharing with them what our process is and showing them rough cuts of the film and working through. Um, we found subjects who I, we thought knew themselves probably uh, had a kind of solidity to who they were um, that they, we knew they could handle kind of looking in the mirror the way that a documentary. But they also um, had, I mean, they had a combination, which I think you need from documentary subjects, um, which is a kind of um, confidence, a comfort level in front of the camera, but also a vulnerability and a willingness to open themselves up to us, um, to the camera. And um, they all had that in different ways. Um, and you have to be respectful of that relationship and to be honest and truthful to your storytelling, um, but also recognizing that when we met them, they were minors and we needed to also talk to their parents and they've become uh, young, young men in the, in the life of this project. And um, I think always wanting them to be a part of this um, project and, and not just somebody we met and left behind two years ago in Texas. Yeah. You mentioned the different ways that confidence manifests itself in these boys, and, and that especially makes me think of Stephen, who is very confident and self-possessed, but he's also reserved and, and maybe not as comfortable being showy as some of the other boys. How, how do you get someone like Stephen to open up to you to the degree that he was able to on camera? Wow, that is a good question that I don't really have a a good tidy answer for honestly I think that uh I think it's to Jesse's credit honestly that he he saw in Stephen very early and maybe I would have missed it um we met him in a orientation for the for the event uh he was one person out of like a hundred or something um and he was he was he was he's a quieter kid and he as you said is more reserved and he's just not the obvious choice for you're like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna cast for the governor uh, of Texas Boy State. Um, but, but he had an immediate, and this is a very recognizable kind of old soul, kind of firmly planted in the ground kind of um, vibe about him. And that was startling for a 17 year old to uh, present. But I think that he did not know even whether he could summon um, a great speech in front of a thousand, you know, kids were very different from him. Um, they're conservative, they're mostly white, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a space of difference. But even in his modesty, he seemed fearless about the space that he was entering. Um, there was no lack of confidence. There was a humility and a, a quietness. And maybe because I'm, as an outsider, a documentary filmmaker, always drawn to those people with that temperament too. Of course, Robert was the obvious candidate. Um, Robert's complicated too, but but he seemed like the sure bet. So it wasn't kind of hard for us to make the calculation that we should pay attention to Robert. Um, but Stephen, um, you know, we when I met him, we went and we had 
lunch and then we we did a long conversation which part of it is in the film and it was incredibly rich and open-ended and he talked about his upbringing um he talked about his inspiration um to to be politically engaged the third grade teacher who gave him a book about abraham lincoln um we talked about napoleon um and i thought this kid is special um he he may not be a viable candidate for governor he may go nowhere he'll probably go nowhere but he's I'm really interested in him as a new as an embodiment of the new Texas too, not the Texas of the 1950s that you see overrepresented at Boys State that's white and that's conservative, but but that new Texas. So he, he was instantly appealing and exciting to us. It's brought up several times in the film that most of the boys at Boys State are white and conservative. After spending time with this group, were there any assumptions you had about white conservative teenage boys in Texas that you found weren't quite right? I think there was a number of surprises um, shooting this film, and thank God, because I think that, you know, as a documentary nonfiction filmmaker, you want to be surprised, you want to have your expectations subverted, because otherwise, what's the point? I just write the thing. Um, I think the first Thing I'll say just politically, I was surprised at how many kids uh, self-identified as libertarian and didn't want anything to do with one or the other party and really felt like they they had an a la carte and they wanted to kind of take pieces of this and that and uh, felt pretty strongly about that. So that was one thing. The second thing, um, I think it was, I probably should have thought more about this, but as a woman going into this space, I think I brought with me a lot of preconceptions about um, 17 year old boys and how rowdy they were gonna be and what kind of Lord of, Lord of the Flies mayhem I was gonna see and what, what, you know, what kind of toxic masculinity was gonna you know, pervade everything and poison it all. And in fact, I, you know, of course we see some of that. And of course we see all kind, you know, two hours in after the counselors dump a bunch of information on them, they kind of release them to go get their signatures. And it's like a running of the bulls, you know, it's just like alpha males trampling everybody else. It's just bananas. But then, you know, hour by hour, something new surprised me. And, and, and you kind of see this, this fuller spectrum of masculinity on display, not just because the people are all different, but also what works in that space in terms of summoning organization or summer or inspiring, um, you know, who, who gets to power, who keeps power and why. Um, I just was surprised by the level of like how powerful empathic leadership was in that space of conservative white males. That was really interesting to me. Um, to, one thing that occurs to me is, you know, Ben may not be representative of, of the book, it's a little hard to say kind of who is representative of that group. I mean, for its homogeneity, it's kind of still very diverse <laughs> as a collection of mostly white conservative teenage boys. But, but, but when we met Ben, um, of course, he has a Ronald Reagan doll on his bookshelf. So we know, kind of know where his politics are. But I, we asked him, I asked him, what have you ever changed your mind on politically? And, and his answer was about organized labor. And so that's an example of what you were saying. You sort of couldn't fit him in a box. You definitely can't fit Ben in a box. And you still can't. I mean, he's still changing. But um, I think that that's right. That, 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 that I think we know that as nonfiction storytellers, too, that people are always much more complicated than they appear to be on the surface. You, you see kind of performative conservatism and performative masculinity. Um, but we know this from making the overnighters, too. I mean, Pastor Jay is kind of on the surface, this conservative 
Christian Lutheran pastor, but beneath the surface, he's something else. And, and I think that's what we were looking for and certainly who we gravitated to is, you know, Robert sort of at war with himself about his own political ideologies. And um, can't say that for everybody there, but I think they are representative in, in that way. You can't put them in a box and that they're kind of in conflict with themselves about what they stand for and, and um, so. I'd never heard of Boy State before seeing this film and it's, it's clearly a, a significant part of the lives of people in some circles. I imagine a lot of these kids have fathers and grandfathers that were a part of the program. And I imagine that that's not the case for kids like Renee and Steven. So do you happen to know how those two heard about Boy State and how they got involved? Uh, this is a very old program that the Amer American Legion has been sponsoring for, for like since the 1930s, right? American, the American Legion is a um, pretty conservative uh, national organization. Every state has a boys and a girls state um, and they're sort of independently run from the American Legion. And so every state uh, is run a little differently in Texas in particular um, is trying to kind of move the program into a more 21st century space and kind of further away from its 1950s vibe. And that part of that, they have a lot of work to do, but a lot of part of that, a part of that is uh, trying to diversify who's coming and um, to better represent, you know, the actual demographics of Texas today. And I think um, they've done that by really not just having American Legionnaires be the no people who are nominating kids <clears throat> to go, <clears throat> but also these high school counselors in um, bigger public and private high schools in the bigger cities and in the suburbs of the bigger cities of Texas. And so you get, now you get kids like Steven, uh, who goes to a big public school up in Katy, Texas. And um, they spoke to us, the, the staff there, about the challenge of recruiting kids from, say, the Rio Grande yeah. Valley, um, which is just really hard, um, you know, because Texas has this huge population of non-voting Hispanics and, and who are just kind of outside the political process and I think are outside the orbit of a certainly an antiquated and somewhat conservative program like Boy State. And probably some parents are, I have a feeling why, that's why I never heard about it as a kid. I think my mom was suspicious of it, <laughs> if it ever entered our orbit in Palo Alto. Um, but um, but we, I do think, and I think that that straddle, you know, one way to look at the program is it's a bit like the U.S. Senate. Like, it's really not represented. First of all, there are no women there. There are no girls there. And as Stephen rightly points out, like, how about people's state? Um, but... Um, it's, it's like sort of the straddle of the 50s and the 21st century is very much kind of where we're at as, as a country too. And thank God they're really, they are trying to move it forward. It's also got a military legacy, right? The American Legion. And so um, some of these, a lot of these kids either, you know, either have an, in, used to have an interest in going to West Point or in ROTC or, and some, you know, there's some military pieces to this program kind of left over uh, next to this kind of civic uh, education program. And I think they're pushing towards the civic education program piece and kind of further away from the marching in lines and yeah. um, that kind of stuff. So I don't know if that's true in girl state programs. It's, it'd be interesting. We're going to do that film next just to see how much of the military piece has like played out in those programs. Oh, did you say you're doing a girl state film? Yes. Yeah, Very it'll cool. be interesting. I mean, I just can't wait to meet, you know, who these young ladies are that are going to run, run things soon. 
there are all kinds of other things happening at Boys State besides the election. You show sports and there's a talent show. Um, you know, is there anything else that happens there that you wish you could have spent more time exploring? I imagine that you know there's there's 1,100 boys. I'm, I'm sure some of them barely even care about this election. It's it's representative of I think our country and that there is some disin there's some people who are not engaged. There are people who don't vote. They have a turnout problem at Boy State. It turns <laughs> out. Um, you know, the, I think the major piece that we felt we weren't able to give full attention to, which is fascinating, is the legislature. And we do see it first when they're voting to ban pineapple pizza and cargo shorts. But, but then later, Stephen talks about actually the kind of more substantive deliberation that's happening there and actually compromise around the issue of guns. They voted to pass universal background check uh, bill in, in the Texas Boy State Legislature, which is kind of extraordinary. One year they voted to secede and the next year they're passing like meaningful gun legislation. So um, I that, that was so none of our characters who we identified um, went to serve in the House or the Senate. And so it was more of a peripheral space for us. Um, but it's a very rich space because there are some very smart kids there. They're really taking on in a substantive way, big topics, immigration, guns, tax policy, you name it. It's not just pineapple pizza. And um, I think that um, we did a lot of shooting there. We have yards of footage, but it just didn't kind of didn't fit in the story. We knew that the governor's race was probably going to be our spine and we were selecting for boys who were going to compete for that. Um, the news network was interesting to us. The fact that they, they, they stand up a whole news organization that can and has in, in years past actually had an effect on the electoral outcome um, as, as sort of a meta layer for us as filmmakers. We, were, we did some exploration of that and ultimately kind of only fit on the, on the periphery. No, the team our year was just not... They weren't, there was no Woodward and Bernstein. No. In years past, I think that we probably missed some really amazing journalists. They do some, they do some hard-hitting reporting. And, and of course, some. that's, that's a, an element mirrored in our national politics, which is hugely important. But um, I, you know, we did work hard to kind of weave in some of the fabric of both Vox Pop conversation, um, which is kind of great to see with some of the boys talking about George Washington's warnings. And, and then the talent show and just sort of the pageantry of, of life and this program, which felt a little bit like a Wes Anderson film, sort of like Moonrise Kingdom and, and sort of its, which was visually really interesting. And, and just kind of the, the way in which it, they create a universe there, um, the marching band, of course. Um, I mean, it's rich, actually. And, but I don't know that other than the legislature. Was There's a huge piece that is just not really what was interesting to us, but they, these kids do not sleep much. They are literally in their dorms, like goofing off probably most of, you know, 11 o'clock till 6 a.m. when, I mean, the program ends at 11 p.m. and then starts again at six. It's really mm -hmm. brutal, but they don't need sleep, apparently 17 year olds. So they would just basically, I mean, Stephen was running on one hour of sleep, that last rotation when he's like debating Eddie. But um, uh, my feeling is probably like most teenage boys, they're in their dorm rooms playing video games and eating candy. And I, you know, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how I'm just saying that's part of the camp experience um, mm -hmm. that some of those kids go for and um, whatever right so that's fun too and, and part of the camaraderie um, you see some of that also on the recreation fields they do play sports against one another and um, but our, I think the legislature is really the one that 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 feels like unfinished business to me and that I'm really interested to get into for sure again once we get back to girl state um, because uh, the, the really truly the smart 
very, very, many of the very smart kids ended up there and, and really had a lot of passion for changing the world. There aren't many specific references to current politics or political figures in the film, but the contemporary political climate looms very large in the film. How conscious were you about not letting in too many references to current news and people? It wasn't that we had to really work to exclude them, um, but and because the boys are, were not constantly talking about people in Washington or what was happening in the news. Um, I, I felt like, it, to me, it was like what we feel, all feel is so powerful with regard to our national politics. It was a little bit like watching the film Man on Wire. Um, we all knew that the towers had been destroyed. You didn't need, didn't need to be acknowledged. We all bring that, that um, perspective, those feelings. And we certainly signaled them, I think, in a, in a direct way in the beginning of the film with Washington's quote, and then the first scene, which is, the the counselor talking about Orwell and Huxley and and um, sort of the um, democracy um, sort of in in the big picture sense. I think we wanted the audience to feel like this was a reflection and that they should sort of bring those associate. It was okay to bring those associations to this story because it's very small in a way. Um, but we didn't need to until the end of the film when Ben directly mentions his name, acknowledge Donald Trump. Uh, and when Ben says he took a page from the Trump playbook, that felt like it was something. Actually, we debated that in the edit room, um, the inclusion of that line. It's so powerful, but also answered the question that we had going into the project, which was the, the extent to which the norms of political behavior and discourse have contaminated the pool, so to speak. There's a very small moment towards the end of the film that, that really got me, made my eyes well up. And you know how sometimes in films there'll be these little things that really resonate with you, even though they don't feel like they're the moments that were explicitly designed to tug at your heartstrings. Well, there's that, that kid that approaches Stephen to let him know how much it meant to him to have Stephen be a voice for people with beliefs like his. And yeah, it just really nailed me. So um, what, are, what are moments in the film with the boys that, that really affect you? I love that guy um, too. Mm -hmm. So I love that you uh, noticed him because he, he really moved me. And I think he, he got cut out of the film at some point because our editor was not as enamored of him. And, you know, at that point in the film, you really want to just get to the, as you say, the, the real heartstring moment um, where people are um, anyway, emoting. Um, I, I think, uh, yeah, that guy, I think that earlier in the film, I loved Stephen walking on the basketball court when he's going to find his city to tell them um, the news he had to tell them. I just, I, I could live in that moment forever. And it's not, no one's, you know, jumping up and down with, you know, yay energy and no one is crying with tragic energy. It's just, it's a real existential moment, I think, of coming out for Stephen where he he's sort of like a you know, and he's walking through a space of, of, I mean, it's a basketball court. So it's sort of like has that young kind of like, uh, you know, people just working out or whatever. It's, it's not an intellectual space, but, um, and it's not really his space because he's not that guy. And so he's really walking into the room of athletes to basically say like, I'm a contender. And I, I just love, I'm that moment and partly that and the music we put with it just really moves me every time I watch the movie. 
just one comment. I have another moment, but one comment about that moment that you um, um, called out is that it reminds us that there, we see in the film that the power of the angry minority and their attempts to impeach Renee, but, but we need to be reminded of the, you know, the, the, the voice of, of the other people who are not speaking up, but, but are in some cases the majority. Um, and I think, you know, Stephen's astute calculation is that there is an audience of people like that in the room. Um, they may look like that, the boy who comes up to him, they may not look like that too. Um, I think for me, it's another Stephen moment, but it's, it's him, <laughs> him writing his speech. Um, and just, I love, it's a very quiet moment in a loud film. And it's really just about him thinking and about putting the pen to paper and the words that he wants to use. Um, he, I mean, the, the, the tragedy of that is that he never gets to say those words. I don't even know what that speech was. I'm sure it was beautiful and might've included references to Napoleon. It's like a lot about Napoleon. <laughs> but um, because, because then he, of course, Robert challenges him on, on guns and he has to pivot to, to debate that. But, um, but I love that. I love the patience of that moment. I love that it's really just about, I mean, it's a lot of what a political leader also has to do is the words they choose to express themselves, to connect them to us and to sort of find this kind of common purpose. And um, it's so much about communication, you know, when, and I think this you know, we talk about spectacle and television and it sounds pejorative, but there's power in, in, in those words and the words, you, we know that, the words you choose to use and how you, what you, how you call to people, do you call to their fears or do you call to their hopes? Are you in touch with all the boys still? Oh yeah, all the time. I mean, so this, this, I mean, with <laughs> documentaries like, uh, Stephen just sent me his MRI photograph, yeah. so we're like intimately in touch. <laughs> uh, he had a back injury. But um, no, we shared the ref cut with them during the edit, and then they were with us at Sundance um, for the premiere of the film, back when you used to share films in person with audiences. And then um, we've been kind of on a virtual Zoom tour with them, which has been really great because um, they're all two years older, wiser, um, and, and hearing from all of them, that kind of quartet of voices is really fascinating because they really have different paths in their lives. Uh, and it's fantastic. And we also have a text chain with them, which is a whole different side of them because it's much more, um, it's just funnier. And I think, uh, they're all fantastic and they all, they're all doing such different things, but they're all like super patriotic and believe in service to your country. But again, all in different ways. Uh, Robert's at West Point, uh, you know, he's in the actual military. Stephen's definitely committed to a life uh, in electoral, in elected, you know, position. Uh, Renee is deep in organization and activism in his community. And I think he has a huge future uh, as a leader in that space, um, for sure, in an intellectual space. Uh, and uh, Ben is uh, studying, he, he's, he's on his way to be a national security something or other, because he's, uh, he's like, what is he? He's like- Triple majoring. Triple majoring. Studying Russian and- He's just, his, his brain is amazing. So <laughs> I hope he's protecting America for us. Final question. Is, um, is there a film that you could name that was really influential to you in making Boys State? Or, or a film that you just think that people absolutely need to make sure that they see? I mean, a film that, that had a direct influence on our visual approach um, is Son of Saul, um, which is a brilliant, 
extremely powerful film. The way it, it was not a documentary. <laughs> yeah, the way it was photographed um, did influence our approach. We shot on a 35 millimeter on a prime lens at a very shallow f-stop. Uh, we knew that we could shoot close. We knew that the environment was going to be confusing and chaotic. Um, we um, knew that we would be in an institutional setting often, and that, that, that those are often ugly spaces. And if we could create some sense of subject, intense subjectivity with our characters, but also separation between our subjects and the world around them, that that sort of might be more effective in putting us in their, in their heads. And uh, I think really it most potently in, in that Steven sequence on the basketball court, um, that sort of following. Um, so that film was something that we talked about with Torsten Tilo, who's our director of photography and did influence our visual strategy. Um, I, I, it's, yeah, I think it's an extraordinary film and I, I kind of revisit it from time to time. Um, yeah, do you have one? You can't make a film about Texas teenagers without also thinking about Dazed and Confused, frankly, and the minute that Robert, the minute we got into Robert's house to interview him, he actually was late. <laughs> so we were just like hanging out in his like very nice house. Um, and then he descended the staircase with his kind of shaggy hair and like his real, you know, his boots. quarterback vibe um I was like you know you just you you have those references almost immediately I think sort of like the fun and the tone of, in our movie um you know Son of Saul's extremely serious and tragic movie but we also knew yeah. there was going to be a kind of you know a, a golden light in there somewhere and um so we have a little bit of that and, and Linkletter is a, is a real humanist too I mean, he's also, I mean that's a funny film but it's a very human film and I think that that tone um yeah the range of tone to laugh. Um, you know, we just made The Overnighters, which is deadly serious and <laughs> dark. And it was a lot of fun to laugh and um, to make a teenage film that's a comedy, but also a little, little bit A little scary. bit of a tragedy. Well, uh, Amanda McBain, Jesse Moss, thanks for your time. It was, it was great to talk. Thank talk. you, Eric. Good Thank to you, connect. Eric. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see you in the Bay Area sometime. 